The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verses 36 to 39. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Wait the fat of their sacrifices and drink the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle we- reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so you've obeyed the law of God. And I mean, really obeyed it. Nah, we know that we don't do that all perfectly, do we? We really disobeyed the law of the Lord. We have really disobeyed it. And now the nasty consequences are bearing down on us. Diminished health, ruptured relationships, surly neighbors, Opportunity loss and job loss, damaged reputations, monetary debts, earthly goods repossessed, doubt, depression, anxiety, and could the list go on further? Yes. And there is little you can do to fix the mess. You can try, but yet all our trying does not change our eternal place with God. If you had banked all your happiness on all the things that got you into this hot mess in the first place, I doubt that it happened all at once. It's just that you got your eyes off of the rock, that one sure source of security. And as we contemplate on this Palm Passion Sunday, this turn as we make from the Lenten time into Holy Week, we see that our hopes and dreams, if they are not based on the cross of Christ, that they all go away. That the happiness, those things that we think are good and secure in this world, are nothing if not anchored in Christ. Martin Luther in the large catechism asked this question, what does it mean to have a God? In other words, what is God? His answer means is this, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. You see, it's not 
just this world that pulls at us, but just our own sense of what we should be doing. You see, we still have it up here in our brains that if we just pedal hard enough, we'll climb Mount Everest. But yet, we can't. It's not available for us to get to where God is. And also, for those of us as Christians, it's not as if there's just one day that we decide to set aside our rock, the one who simply is, and that there is none beside him. You see, we don't just arbitrarily all of a sudden do that, but it's a bunch of little decisions along the way. Decisions where we set the rock that is God and walk away from it. You see, we do that. Even though there is none other than God. Even when we think of, you know, all the other things that distract us in our world, God remains the one constant. He is there. He's the one who formed us in creation. He's the one who redeemed us in Christ. He's the one who will come again to take us to be back with himself. After all, that is really what our memory verse for April talks about, that there may be sorrow now, but just wait, because God's coming, and he's going to take you to where he is. Now, you and I as Christians, there are these little decisions that we make. We begin to think that God is maybe just one source of good among many. That's what the world would try to entice us with. The chief source certainly is God, but nevertheless, one among many. And so starts that slippery slope. That slippery slide into sin and loss and misery. Ever so slowly, you begin to slide down and look for other things for your good and your security. And it probably all started thoughtlessly. Something just presented itself out of a simply, somehow innocent opportunity to you. It seemed to make sense at the time. So many other people around you were doing it. You took it, and then you took some more, and then you were caught. So that there we are today beginning to see those so-called opportunities are actually enemies out to get you. And you know, we do have enemies that are out to get us. And sometimes the biggest enemy is the one inside us, our own sinful nature. You know, our own sinful nature thinks that it's prideful, right? I can do it myself. How many times have we said that? Leave me alone because I can do it. You know, our stubbornness sometimes comes not from a, a planned understanding of things, but from trying to avoid that we are really incapable of doing it ourselves. And our pride is real. That stubbornness that comes from pride is real. Many of us come from German descent. What does that mean? We're stubborn, really stubborn. 
and you and I also are full of pride. Now, we all know the law of God. Maybe you don't know it as well as you should, but it is written for us in the Holy Scriptures. And it's written on our hearts as well. And God has baked it into his cosmos. You see, I'm not going to talk to you a lot about the content of the law today. I'm not going to tell you what an idiot you've been, okay? Because you already know that. The time is too short now. If you know God's law, then why do you disobey it? Why do we stray from it? And when we do, why doesn't God just wipe his hands of you? That's really the burning question our Old Testament reading is today. It's one that has preoccupied God's people from time out of memory. You see, our existence is not unique. We're not the first ones to ever blow it. But it's a delicate moment. If you are ashamed and you dig in to prop up your pride and your stubbornness, God will let you do that for a while. He'll say to you, where are those gods of yours, the rock in which you took refuge? Did they accept your offerings? Have they answered your prayers? Okay, keep offering to them. Keep praying to them. Let's see how this works out. Now imagine God's being sarcastic here. He knows he's the only God. He knows that rooted in our stubbornness and in our pride, that we will try to go that way. Like the little engine that could, we're going to try to get up that mountain, only to find we could not. And so God doesn't really want us to dig in and be stubborn. But sometimes we are just so bullheaded that we have to get into the mess even deeper before we'll look to the one true rock for help, the only one who is really our true good and our security. You know, you and I, we make a mess of things, and we could even acknowledge that we do it regularly, that we are making messes. But the Lord vindicates us. He will have compassion on us. He sees that, that you are powerless against these things, including your own sinful nature. And they have caught you. And you're so powerless, that's as if your hands have been cut off, the blood has been drained out of you, and now you're a quivering heap of sadness. Away goes your pride, your power, your hand. It's not going to do what you need. It's gone. So here's what your rock says to your enemies. I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And so how does God the rock do that? By stretching out his own hands. He does his greatest work when he is most powerless, with his hands pinned to the cross, the blood draining out. You see, God, our Lord Jesus, takes vengeance on our enemies by taking all the blows that were coming our way. 
All those enemies that we know that are out to get us, they may be coming in close. They may be bearing in on you. You may be circled. But suddenly your rock comes to you and draws them off. You see, our rock took the form of a servant. Our servant. And in our place, he dies and we live. Somehow, that offends us, doesn't it? The gospel is something that offends. It offends our sensibilities. It offends our pride, our stubbornness, and our false idea of things. It challenges us because God is the one who intercedes. God is the one who reaches down all the way out of heaven, all the way down to where we are, where we are in that pit of death. And there he reaches out and pulls us up. Not because we're great and beautiful and powerful, but because he loves us. And because he loves us, he continues to do just that. He continues to set us on the path that leads the right way. He continues to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Notice it's not for my namesake, but for his namesake. There goes our pride. There goes our power. But in God, he makes all things good. So may you and I today have that mind among us, right? That Jesus, born in the form of God, didn't count equality with God, something for us to understand, but made himself nothing, like we are nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, humbled himself even further by becoming obedient unto death for us. Now that is love. And that is what we need every day. The kind of love that reaches down into our lives, clicks us on, lifts us up, helps us to know that we are loved, that we are indeed important to somebody. And that somebody, many times, the only one we may even know at any point is God, because he alone is love. So today on this Palm Passion Sunday, may you and I understand greater the love that God has for us that he would humble himself so that he could, like the rock, crush our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, and raise us up to new life. That is something to say Hosanna and every other word of praise to. As we go through this week, may we follow closely to our Lord Jesus to see even more his service for us.
in his life, his supper, his death, and his resurrection, all for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As is our tradition here at Our Redeemer, at the end of our Palm Sunday service, we sit and listen to the gospel of the passion of our Lord. And this year we read from the gospel of St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, because he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. And the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod became Pilate, and P Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate called them together, the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown in prison for an insurrection started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! And a third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand would be granted, and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there following him, a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, 
Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Please stand. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of the preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Let us go forth in peace. 
In the name of the Lord, let us...